For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Hulu, presenting Legacy, the true story of the L.A. Lakers. From the backboard to the front office, Legacy captures the remarkable rise and unprecedented success of one of the most iconic franchises in professional sports. Featuring new revealing interviews from players, coaches, and execs, this 10-part documentary series chronicles this extraordinary story from the inside. Watch Legacy, the true story of the L.A. Lakers, now only on Hulu. What up, what up, what up, though? Ball Hawk Show. What up, what up, what up, though? Ball Hawk Show. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. Brick layers and ball shorts. Coaching from the side of the ball court. If you know, you know. One stop like a Walmart. We got the tennis balls for the wrong sport. You know, you know. If you know about the carport, the trap door supposed to be awkward. If you know, you know. That's the reason we ball for. Circle round twice for the encore. If you know, you know. What up, what up, what up, what up, what up, do? Welcome to the Ball Hawk Show podcast. I'm your host, Amaya Hawkins. I appreciate you taking time out today to listen to the latest episode of the Ball Hawk Show podcast. This podcast, we we will be previewing uh, UVA versus UNC, the South oldest rivalry. And um, I was a part of this rivalry. I uh, was three and one in this rivalry. And um, it's, it's serious. But again, times have changed. And I don't know how important the rivalry is to the program, but um, they should know. Uh, before we get started, make sure you subscribe to the Ball Hawk Show podcast on iTunes, uh, Anchor.fm, uh, Blog Talk Radio, Podbean, YouTube, on various platforms. Every platform that a podcast is available, you can find the Ball Hawk Show podcast. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Abra Insurance. Go to AbraInsurance.net for all your insurance needs. That's Abra Insurance, service in the state of Virginia for over 20 years. That's home, auto business life insurance holla at the good people at aber insurance and go to sthujuice.com that's sthujuice.com for your shut the hell up juice apparel and also petty hawk apparel is available at sthujuice.com if you saw the unbelievable special on acc network i have a tribute championship shirt uh called the redemption shirt that's available on sthujuice.com that you know that was going on sale the day after they won the championship but a lot of folks have been tuned in and saw that i had a shirt available and started purchasing those so let's go ahead and jump right into it man um the wahoos need this game virginia cavaliers are five and three three and two in the acc north carolina tower hills are four and four but they are also three and two in the acc this is a game that Various people in the fan base, the majority of the fan base don't feel like we would win this game because of 
how the Who's have looked in two of their last three, basically all three, the past three games, but definitely two of the past three. And if you go back to the Notre Dame second half, so the Notre Dame second half, all of Miami game, pretty much the Duke game because we played with a short field, and then the second half of the Louisville game. Um, nobody's really confident in offensive coordinator uh, Robert Anai and his ability to be consistent when it, call, when it comes to outthinking the opponent because it seems like we've been outthinking ourselves more than our opponent. Uh, we were talking about the offensive line heading into the Duke game, and it seems like those collective young men and Coach 2J have come together and accepted the challenge in these past two games. They played a whole lot better than what they did the games leading up to the last two. So that's the first and foremost. You got to tip your hat that, that as a group, they stepped up to the challenge. So now everybody is in a panic because they feel like the offense will boo-boo the bed. Like it doesn't matter. It's going to be a point in the game. They feel like the offense is just going to stall and that Bryce is going to throw an interception or it's going to be a timely fumble. Everybody's waiting for the wheels to fall off at some point, and they just don't feel like they can keep up with this North Carolina team who, in their own right, they start out slow, or have early turnovers, but they close the show. Like, no matter how long you're beating North Carolina, they will come back. It's just like that. If you look at the trend over the season, we're going to go through how their season's been playing out. South Carolina, Miami, Wake Forest, Appalachia State, Clemson, Virginia Tech. And I don't know if they were trailing Georgia Tech, but all those games they trailed. And they either came back to win or they were within striking zone. You know, striking, you know. They needed another stop by the defense and they didn't get it. South Carolina, I think they were down by like 14 to 15 at one point and came back and beat them. That was the first game of the season. Miami was leading them early. They came back to beat Miami 28 to 25. Uh, Wake Forest was leading them early and they came back and they needed a stop. And Wake Forest got a field goal late to seal that game. Appalachia State, it took a block field goal and a made deep field goal, and they lost that game. Clemson, we all know what happened. How I think they tried to go for two versus Clemson, and they lost that game by one point. Uh, they beat Georgia Tech pretty handily, and then they had the six overtimes versus Virginia Tech where both kickers uh, didn't want to win the game, and they lost to Virginia Tech. And then they beat Duke on a questionable play call by Coach Cutcliffe. But at the end of the day, North Carolina has always battled back and found a way to win or put you on – like, their offense was – like, with us, it's like we don't believe in our offense. With them, it's just just don't turn the ball over because we feel like our offense and defense can lead to the promise. And when you look at them on film, they're fast on both sides of the ball. They have playmakers. They have three playmakers at running back. Their true freshman quarterback is phenomenal, in my opinion. The kid just gets it done. Uh, I like their receivers. Daz Newsom went to my high school. Uh, his dad, I know his dad very well. He's he's a relative of, of Coach Hagen's on the staff. Daz Newsom in the slot is going to be an issue for us. This is going to be the first game that missing Bryce Hall is apparent because we took, I feel like, our best cover safety as far as sideline to sideline of Devontae Cross we moved him and put him at corner. And now you have a you, you have some issues. Because similar to when we had Alameda Sakias, 
they essentially have their best receiver in the slot. You know, you could have you could have pretty much used Devontae Cross to bracket a Daz Newsom, take away a side with Bryce Hall, and then I'll bet my money on on Nick Grant covering. I just will. The kid is, has shown that much stride this year. But now you're essentially asking a Chris Moore or a Joey Blunt, who I feel like Joey Blunt is a kid that we need pressuring the quarterback, dropping down in the box, being that spy, being that Troy Palomalu type of safety. It's it's not fair to ask a Joey Blunt to cover because that's not his strong suit. That's just not. He's great being around the line of scrimmage, wrecking havoc. We see that he, he's getting sacks, hurries. I mean, we saw the remember the pit game, even the Duke game. The the kid is just everywhere. And last last game he got singled up with two two Atwell, and they just ran a corner route against him, and it just wasn't. That's not his forte. So you really can't fault the dude for not checking their best receiver in space. We're talking about big time corners can't check these receivers in space. So you can't expect one of our sages to do the same. So I'm anxious to see how we defend them. And that, and that takes me into their offensive scouting report. We talked about Sam Howell as a kid that was highly touted coming out of high school, number three drop back quarterback or pro style quarterback coming out of high school. Um, a kid that has their vertical game clicking coming into this game of the scrimmage plays of plus 20 yards, North Carolina is first with 49 plays going over 20 yards. And that's because of Howell. Carolina has 11 drives in the fourth quarter of the season of 70 or more yards. Basically, and then you look at the South Carolina game, Carolina used drives of 98 and 95 yards late in the game against South Carolina to overcome an 11-point deficit. Uh, Howell has been ACC QB of the week three different times this year. He's been ACC rookie of the week three different times this year. He's on a Davey O'Brien Award great eight list, um, the Manning Award star of the week. He won that twice. He has 22 passing touchdowns already this year, 2,100 yards. Um, his fourth quarter passing touchdowns, he has eight which leads, I want to say, the country. He has the most, the third most passing yards in the country in the fourth quarter with 675 yards. Uh, QB leaders passing plays, 10-plus yards. He is sixth with 96 total plays going over 10 yards when he's throwing the football. Um, QB leaders passing attempts, 20-plus yards. He has 753 yards when you total all those up. Um, so he, he's a he's an efficient quarterback as well. Twenty two touchdowns and just five interceptions, and that's up there with the Jalen Hurts, the Justin Fields, the the Joe Barrows. I mean, he's up there. And then we talk about their backs. You got Dev- Javante Williams, their leading rusher. Then you have Michael Carter from last year. Remember him? He had he had one big carry. And then two years ago, he had over 100 yards. Um, and then you got Antonio Williams. So they got a three-headed monster at running back that can get it done. Their receivers can perform well. We talked about Daz Newsom um, and his capabilities in the slot. He's seventh in the ACC with 42 catches, um, 72.8 yards receiving a game. 
He leads UNC with 42 catches, 582 yards, and six touchdowns. 28 of his 42 catches have resulted in the first down, which is third in the ACC. His 62 receiving yards in the red zone is third in the ACC. He just came off a 100-yard, one-touchdown game versus Duke. Uh, versus Virginia Tech, he had nine catches, 112 yards, and two touchdowns. He's explosive. He also returns punts. So um, then you got Boo Corrales. At, he made it four straight games with the receiving touchdown when he had a touchdown versus Duke, six foot four, two hundred and ten pounds. So it's 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 going to be a tall task for us. And when you look at the tail of the tape, by their offensive line, they got good size, six four. What they got, six eight. 315, 6'4", 325, 6'2", 305, 6'7", guard, and a six. So the right side of their line is 6'7", a piece, 332 pounds and 335 pounds. And I want to say, believe it or not, though, they um, Howard's actually been sacked more than Bryce has been sacked. If uh, Let me see if I can look that up right quick for y'all. So sacks. So they've given up 27 sacks. And UVA has given up. Oh, man. I just had this up, and I changed. I flipped the page on, on both of the scouting reports. But I think he has been sacked more than than Bryce. So that's something that, that we can look at. Yeah, one more sack. So we've given up 26 sacks. They give up 27 sacks. So what did they do on offense, Ballhawk? One thing about North Carolina that I like watching them on film that they made everything in a sense look the same. So if they go trips and they run a pass right out of it, they they have a running play out of it, and then they have a play action pass out of it. So everything they give you three levels of it. So they try to make everything look the same when they run their um their stretch plays or their inside zones. It's more of a belly type feel because they're pulling their guards. So it's blocked down, pull pull. Either they pin you down, they kick you out, um, but they're spreading you out because the, the their their trips or their two by two, the receivers are wide, so they're making the linebackers declare. You you just can't try to split the difference because their receivers are way out there. Then they have tight formations as well where they bunch up, but they do a good job of staying balanced, and they do a good job of trying to take shots down the field. Um, they want to get vertical in the hurry. But they will trust their receivers to make plays in space. He can be accurate. He will throw it up. Um, you can't intercept him, but he hasn't thrown that many. A lot of teams haven't been making him pay. So if he makes a mistake, you got to make him pay. You got to take advantage of the turnover. Opponents have turned their turnovers into 31 points. UNC, even though they've turned people over a lot, they only generated 20 points off a turnover. So we look at the team comparison. Scoring offense, we at, we score more points than them, average more points than them, believe it or not. 29.9 points to 27.5. Uh, rushing offense, they average 166 yards rushing. We all know we don't do that great in a, in a rushing department. We average 105. Uh, passing offense, they average 268. We average 239. Pass efficiency, they have the upper hand. Total offense, they have the upper hand 434 to 345 time of possession they were at 30 we're at 33 on the flip side so they beat us in every statistical statistical category on offense except for scoring we beat them on every single defensive statistic except for 
turnover margin and just because our offense turns the ball over a lot and we haven't turned people over. Um, sacks, tackles for loss, total defense. I mean, they give up 164 yards rushing. They give up 216 yards passing. The one thing you can do versus them is run, and the one thing we don't do is run. Most of the time, I don't even like to look at that stat because I just know we're not going to stick to a game plan to where we're running the football unless we use a short passing game and we build a lead, and then that's where coaching now will start to run the ball. It's the same way with Jordan Ellis last year. He wouldn't really give Jordan Ellis the ball unless we had a lead. The Miami game, we, we gave him the ball even two years ago versus North Carolina down there. We gave Jordan the ball over 20 times because we were trying to sit on a lead. If we try to sit on the lead, that's when Coach would try to run the football. But this that's why, that's why we see Bryce Perkins turn the ball over more than we should because we, we put a lot of onus on him. Because we want to wait and wait and get a lead before we finally sit on the ball. Like, we're going to have to play possession football. We, we are. Until we can consistently execute offensive plays that are safe, that are ahead of the sticks, and that will allow us to have our defense um, rest a little bit. So we got to put Bryce in favorable situations. Bryce has to do a better job of making sure that the balls that he is throwing are in the catch radius of our receivers. We can't get to the red zone and we have a oops throw. We, we can't afford that anymore. We can't afford fumbles in the pocket anymore. Like if he's going to run, you run. I don't have a, like, I didn't have an issue in the second half of Louisville with, with Bryce taking it and running. I didn't because he was getting positive. Y'all getting you five, six yards a pop on the RPO. We definitely got to use Cali. I do want to say that. So North Carolina's defense, they run a 3-4. They have a very good running back, a very good linebacker who was actually a quarterback when he got here, and that's Junior Chad Surratt. His Surratt name sounds familiar. His brother is a star receiver for Wake Forest. It's probably the best receiver in the ACC pound for pound. He moved from quarterback to linebacker and he's their leading tackler with 75 tackles eight and a half tackles for a loss five sacks he can dissect plays fast because he's a former quarterback he understands protection he understands route combinations and he moves very well he runs well he's a playmaker so you you gotta keep a lookout for 21 he he's definitely a playmaker i like the way he moves around on the field his ability to um, identify plays. But the thing about him is his pad level isn't the best. So as if you're a blocker, if Peacock is coming down here, Peacock could get up in his chest. He won't deliver the most violent blow, but he's going to tackle you. So if he if he's a person that doesn't have great pad level, that's when you use that against him. Get him moving in a certain direction and then put your foot in the ground and just run up in his chest or you cut back on them. But I do like what I see in him. Like I said, they run the 3-4. They're going to play man-to-man on the outside. Their their DB coach is the great Dre Bly, who's a legend, a GOAT, played in the NFL, played at UNC. He was in a in a in an era when throwing wasn't like that. He had 11 interceptions in like 13 games. He comes from the 757. He went to Western Branch. They're well coached back there. They're going to get up in your face. They're going to challenge you. They're going to play man. 
They're going to play some two-man, some man-free. They may play some cover six, some combo zones, things of that nature. But they won't be afraid to play us man-to-man across the board and just use their linebackers to get at Bryce. So we're going to have to win on the outside, and we're going to have to win the 50-50 balls. 50-50 balls are there. You can beat them on the double moves. Um, they do have good size in in the secondary as well. Um, matter of fact, let me sh- let me read you guys. So their corners, they got a corner that's six one, two hundred pounds. They got a nickelback that's six three two. I mean, everybody's six foot and over. They're bigger guys. Safety six two. A backup nickelback is six one. Everybody's over six six feet. Long arms. They got some avatars back there. And that's why they want to come up and challenge you and pray press. Because they feel like they can restart you due to their wingspan, due to their height. And they're going to force you to make the perfect throw because they're so long. So what do you do with bigger size corners? You give them combo routes. Rub routes. Some mesh routes. You make them move their and flip their hips. If you're just going to try to run a streak, that's what they want. But if you get run some slants, run some dig routes, some speed cuts, something that make them flip their hips and run, then you got the advantage in a sense of just trying to make it a race down the field. Because if you try to make it a race down the field, unless they're bailing, I have noticed that they will press bail. And when they bail and you attack their butt, you can beat them down the field because they lose, they lose where you are and they can't look and lean. But if they stay in your face and they stay square and you don't really move them off their spot, meaning you give them a little hint to the inside, make them shuffle, and then stack them real quick and allow Bryce to throw you to the sideline. But if you just try to speed release and beat them up the field, what they'll do is they'll just trap you. They'll trap you to the sideline, and Bryce doesn't have a true target. And even if you try a back shoulder throw, they have you trapped with their looking lean. Like, they're so big, they could just use their extremities to bat the ball down. But at the line of scrimmage, if you could tighten up your – Tighten up your alignment just a little bit. So if you're the outside receiver, instead of being at the bottom of the numbers, if you go in about three yards to put them in no man's land to where they can't really tell what you're trying to do and you and you use your stem to get you open, don't be afraid to use your stem. Don't feel like just because you run a slant, you got to line up real wide to the bottom of the numbers because that's going to be a tip off. Hey, I'm at the bottom of the numbers. Let me use the ratio of the field. If you have three yards outside of you and 10 yards in inside of you i'm gonna take away your inside because i could use the sideline as my opponent so if all of our receivers just line up the same no matter the route that they have and use their stem so if you line up a little tighter and at the snap of the ball you give them three strong steps towards the sideline up the field threaten them vertically like you're running a fade and you get them to flip their hips and then you take that inside arm and you get it up beneath his armpit and you club them through and you club and rip or you club and swim but with their long arms, you got to rip. You can't swim a tall a tall DB because they're going to jab you right up in your chest. They're going to pick one of your pecs, and they're going to jab you, and that's all they need. It's called a hit replace. Jab you real quick to get you to, uh, to um, damn, what's the word I'm looking for? To react, and then they come with the replace hand, if that makes sense. So if, if our receivers go to the outside, what they'll try to do is, jab you with their inside hand and try to what we call steer and you try to steer them by pushing them so if they steer with the inside hand as soon as they steer you take that arm that they're steering and you use that hand 
and you take it right up under their armpit and you club them by. And when you club them, they're going to try to replace with their outside arm. So if they try to replace with their outside arm, you drop your outside shoulder and what we call you rip. And you rip up like you're having an uppercut. And when you rip up, you hook. So as soon as you rip up, you hook behind and that propels you forward. You spring and you push the DB back. And DBs hate that. I play receiver and I play DB. Anytime I feel like I got a good shuffle and I give that inside jab and I'm steering you and I feel like, uh-oh, that's this third step, he coming underneath, and I try to drop my inside foot and try to jab and steer with my outside, if they catch me before I could flip and drop my foot and they club me, it's a wrap. It's a wrap because you're in panic mode. So our ability to work off the line of scrimmage and to give ourselves room so Bryce can have a um, larger catch radius for you, the better. But you're just not going to outrun these guys. We're just not. We could put Chapman out there. We if we could put Tavares. It don't matter who we put out there with speed. You're just not going to beat them in a foot race. Any good DB, and they've shown they're good DBs, are not just going to let you beat them up the field because they're going to use the angle. And then it's 6-1. They don't have to be that, like, they, they they could just reach their arm out. So you got to stack them. Once you have the line of scrimmage, you got to get vertically right now and basically cut them off. That's what stacking means. Meaning as soon as I beat you at the line of scrimmage and I start to get up the field, instead of trying to avoid the contact, I embrace the contact and I lean into you and I get up on t- and I rip, take your outside arm or your wrist and I pull it down to pull me forward and then I stack you. I get in front of you. So now you don't know where I'm going. I can go inside, go outside, or continue to go straight because you're beat immediately. And it doesn't matter how fast you are. If I stack you, you either got to run inside of me or outside of me to get to where I'm at. And the ball is not coming to you. So if you try to run to the outside to catch up with me, where the quarterback is going to drop the ball in the inside. So I know I spent a lot of time on that, but that's our best way to beat them because I know we're going to throw the ball and I know they're going to be pressed. And with their press, a lot of our routes going to be conversion routes because if they were short routes, you're probably going to converge down the field. So if you had a five-yard stop route, I mean five-yard hitch, and he's pressed, you're probably going to just run the go route now. And they press. That's what they're going to want to do. And on offense, they're going to attack you. They're going to be pretty much balanced. Um, but they're, they're trying to get big hitters, but they have a lot of skill at their skill position. And like I talk about their quarterback and the receiver and the running backs. Um, but I feel like we could get to the quarterback. We could definitely get to the quarterback, but they're going to spread you out. Um, if I look at plays ran, so if I look at how many pass attempts, 274 pass attempts and 332 rushing yards, rushing attempts. So they're a little more run heavy. But they set everything up off the run. They will invest in the run. Uh, but looking at us on film, I can see them attacking us through the air because of, like I said, you know, this will be the first game that um, I feel like an offense can truly challenge us on the back end just because of the type of offense that they run and the weapons that they have. Like, I didn't worry about Duke too much with their, their weapons. I understood that Coach Cutcliffe is a good offensive coach. They have – some good device plays, but I didn't see anybody on their team on the outside that jumped out to me. And I was like, Oh man, we got to worry about them. Uh, and even Louisville, their, their receivers, even though everybody averaged over 15 to 16 yards, it was predicated off 
the run, and then I didn't think their quarterbacks were that accurate. It was more of a gadget, like play action. You fall asleep, they take a shot, and then Tutu Atwell was so good after the catch. This is the first game that they have weapons on the outside and they have a quarterback who can get them the ball. It's just all about their offensive line. Like I said, their offensive line has given up one more sack than we have, and they're a bigger size group, so you're going to have to stunt and get them to move their feet, get them to get confused. You know, 6'7 on one side of the line, they got 6'4 and 6'5 on the left side of the line. But those guys that are 6'7", you got to make them move in space. You can't just try to bull rush them. But initially, you're going to have to get up in their chest and see where their pad level is at. And then after that, you got to run some stunts, run some games, and see how they can maneuver and move their feet. And then you got to get your hands up on Howell. And if, if anything, you make them continue to take shots down the field because those are lower percentage throws as far as trying to complete for a quarterback. It's nothing like pitching and catching intermediate and short passes, but throwing into the bucket down the field, and it's more sideline. Not post routes, not corner routes. Post and corner routes, you have a high percentage because you can essentially throw it away from the defender, and, you you know, it's more margin of error as far as having to go track it down. Throwing to the sidelines is less accurate because the DB can use the sideline. And then if you get your hands on the ball, you get two feet in. So that's what I'm saying, that if we're going to challenge North Carolina, we got to play blitz technique. Our corners got to be inside out and force the fade route and cut them off and get to the interception point. And if you can, get there before the ball. You look back, you look and lean, and you pin them to the sideline, similar to what I was saying that their corners would do. I don't know how much press we will play. And if I feel like if we're going to come up and and blitz how, if Coach Howell is going to blitz how, it's like don't even try to disguise it. Get them to see early, like put people in the box early. You're gonna have to bracket dash. You can't. We can't cover him one on one in the slot. We we can't do that. You gotta have a safety over top. Like the corners have to be on the island. You're gonna have to bracket dash Newsom if you want to send more than they can block and put us at a detriment. Because one thing we can't have Brendan Nelson checking dash Newsom without safety help. That's not no. Like, Brendan is a very good nickelback, but you can't ask, essentially, well, he may be not. He might be the best cover guy we got now, to be honest with you. At least in a slot he is. I mean, I think Nino is a very – he's come a long way, and he, he's essentially our best cover corner. And I feel like Devontae is your classic athlete playing corner that's very capable, and I feel like he's actually better in press. I would like to see Devontae impress versus off because impress he could use his athleticism and his ball skills better. When he's off, he has to use his pedal, you know, ability to uh, weave when they stem him inside. Like a lot of times, a lot of corners don't realize when a receiver has stemmed them and defeated them. What I mean by stem is if you're playing at a certain leverage and I run towards your leverage and I become head up on you, now I have a two-way go. Or I stem towards you and I make you move off your spot so much that you don't even realize you open up the pass area in which I wanted to get to. I wanted you to open it up. Similar to what I was saying with the, the slant route. If you get inside a receiver's thing and, oh, he's moved in, it has to be an outside route. And then you attack out and you overemphasize that release. All you're doing is opening up your pass catching area for your slant route, but you're also making the DB panic because you're going to where you're going towards the higher percentage of where the route should be 
depending on your alignment. So alignment and assignments. It's all about diversions and confusing and outthinking. So if same thing with IDBs, you got to understand if you're outside leverage and where he's lined up at, if he's kind of tight and he's pressing outside towards you, is he doing that because he wants to get outside or is he doing that just to weave you out even more so he can run a bang eight that's real skinny and it's away from the line, a buzz linebacker in the safety. So it's so many nuances that Devontae has had to learn since the Miami game. So but when you put him in press, you cut half of it off because you just say, hey, protect your inside and understanding where he lines up initially. But at the end of the day, he's so tall and athletic, make him go outside. That's what I would tell Devontae. At the end of the day, make him go outside, use your speed, use your angles. So if you heavy inside and they give you a move and it defeats you to where you overstep or overshuffle to the inside and they give it a free release, instead of trying to go catch them now, catch them eight yards down the field. Instead of opening your hips all the way, you shuffle and go 90 and you run at an angle to get to the interception point. So you never know. We may play a lot of press, just not against five. Do not play press against Dad Newsom. Don't do that because you're going to make me nervous. Um, but initially, man, this is and this is a longer podcast because I have so much to say. Um, this is a game that we need to win. A lot of folks feel like due to the recent history of the program, they don't feel like we're going to win this game. Everybody feels like that seven and five is what the team is going to be. We're going to lose this game. We're going to beat Georgia Tech in a close one, beat Liberty in a close one, and then lose to Virginia Tech. That's what the fan base is saying. That's the post that I'm getting. And if that's what you feel, that's what you feel. But we've seen the Coastal this year. Anything is possible just because one game went one way doesn't mean the next game is going to the next. Because we've seen when we played against Notre Dame, nobody gave us a shot. We was winning in the first half. You get your hopes up, and then the wheels fell off. Nobody thought we were losing Miami because they were trash can juice. It rained. We lose our star corner, and the offense disappeared. Nobody thought that we would beat Duke the way that we did, but we smashed them. And then going to Louisville, nobody thought that they would have that many running yards versus us, and they did. So as soon as you don't believe in the Cavs, usually the Cavs will prove you wrong. And that's what I'm hoping. Nobody's truly, I'm not going to say nobody, but the majority is not believing in the Cavs right now. So what the Cavs can do is do what they've been doing all season. As soon as you don't believe in them, they show up. You're back against the wall. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you. I think the Cavs can win this game. As long as, like, you can't turn the ball over against this team. You can't. They will methodically move the ball down the field. They don't have an issue with taking dink and dunks here and there. They want some explosive plays, but they've shown an ability to have 11-play drives countless times, 70-yard drives countless times. So the offense can be efficient for them. But if they turn the ball over and you get a short field, you better score seven. You can't settle for three. We'll take three, but three just going to keep them with their hopes up. They make a mistake. You got to make them pay with seven. You got to make them pay. And we can't turn the ball over anymore. Look, we don't matter our quota turn the ball over on the road. I'm sorry. Five versus Notre Dame, one versus Miami. Yeah, it was one versus Miami. Then two against Louisville. Come on, son. Come on. What's the only turnover we, we generated on the road was versus Pitt? That was 
what the 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 two interceptions? Did we get a strip sack that game? I don't know, but when the last time we turned somebody over? I mean, onside kicks that count, but great day. We got to flip the script, man, if we want to win this game. It's the oldest uh, rivalry in the South. And Coach Roman would get up and talk, uh, address the team before we play North Carolina every time and say, what I want you to do is hit him white square in the mouth. We don't lose to these dudes. That's what he would say. So, you current Wahoos, strap your lid on with your icy whites and hit them Carolina Blue Boys white square in the damn mouth. Let's go ahead and continue to control our destiny in the Coastal, man. It's the Ballhawk Show. I know this podcast is longer than what they used to, but hopefully y'all enjoyed the insight I gave y'all as far as DB's release and things like that. If not, I apologize. It's the Ballhawk Show, man. We out of here. Peace. Oh, and make sure you go to myhawkers.com for all your walkthrough episodes and everything you need. Salute to the sponsor, Abra Insurance, as they also sponsor the walkthrough. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.